Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinchinski, and today we're talking to Coach George Paneyotu. He's the head varsity soccer coach at Northridgeville High School in Northridgeville, Ohio. And now I know you're saying, Dave, what are you doing? This is supposed to be a basketball podcast. Well, technically that's true. But I want to share with you people who I think are doing an extraordinary job at building team culture and winning no matter what the sport. What's more is that Coach George is a former Marine and has been coaching youth sports ever since he got out. Coach George, let me first thank you for your service and then also thank you for joining me on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it's a pleasure to be here. I really am honored to, to be invited and be a part of your, what you're putting together. Well, Coach George, now before we get into everything that's great about you, here's a broad stroke look at your background. 14 years in the Marines, now 14 years coaching soccer, but the last five years have been spent building the varsity program at North Ridgeville. After having only one winning season from 1996 to the year 2015, Coach George took over, and this is what his teams have accomplished. They've earned three consecutive 10-win seasons. They've won a sectional title in 2018. They've competed in the second or third rounds of the playoff the last four seasons, including earning two first-round buys. And so, Coach, you're doing this despite playing the best soccer teams in the state of Ohio. And, Coach, my first question for you is, is there a secret to your success? <laughs> uh, so I don't think that you can narrow one specific secret down to the team's success because um, there's a, a bunch of factors that kind of go into that, right? Um, but what I'd like to say is – when the group plays together and they're motivated all together to be able to take care of one another, love one another, and, and play as a team, it's amazing the things that you guys can accomplish. Well, you and I have never formally met, but I did see you speak at a Veterans Day event once, and I was very impressed. And I've had so many people come up to me and tell me, you got to get Coach George on the podcast. You got to get him on the podcast because of all the great things you're doing. So your reputation definitely precedes you. But the first thing I want to talk about, Coach, is your experience in the Marines. What was it like? Did you see any combat? Kind of walk me through your experience in the United States Marine Corps. Sure. So uh, I joined uh, as a baby right out of high school. 
Um, I was 17 still in Paris Island because I'm an August birth date. So uh, I started very, very young out there. Um, I spent my first 10 years of uh, my time as active duty. I was an infantry guy. Um, so I spent time in California. I spent time um, in Quantico teaching out there. I spent time actually at the Pentagon doing private security for a while. Um, had some kids and I could not be the kind of father that I wanted to be bouncing around and, and doing deployments. So I decided to come home and I, I was going to finish up my time as a reservist. And as soon as I got back, uh, they activated me again and sent me back to Afghanistan for another year. So uh, after I finished my last uh, year of active duty, I finished up with 14 years and decided to step away because I could not uh, continue to, you know, do that to my family anymore. It's tough. But uh, over my time, I got an opportunity to be able to see places all over the world. Uh, I did have my combat experience. Um, there were a lot of lessons learned, a lot of great impacts on me. And I like to think that I had the opportunity to be able to make some positive impacts on others as well. So were you playing soccer at the time you were in the Marines? Uh, not competitively. I mean, kind of like uh, base teams. We did uh, little leagues where you would play against other teams that were on a base and stuff like that, but not anything that I'd be able to say was, was very competitive. When you were in, now you said you did a lot of teaching. Did you plan on becoming a coach when you were discharged? So I'll be honest with you. I did not plan on that at first. Um, but me stepping away from the Marine Corps, there was a huge gap that was left in me because um, I enjoyed so much the opportunity to be able to mentor and give back to my guys. Uh, I was a gunnery sergeant when I left the Marine Corps and I was truly invested in being with my guys. And I, I would get, you know, young kids that were coming out of high school as well. And when you're overseas and you're dealing with uh, family troubles and, and girlfriend or wife problems and stuff like that. And you're there every single day to be able to talk these guys through the issues that they're dealing with and mentoring them. When I didn't get a chance to do that anymore, uh, that was a, a huge gap in my life. And coaching has really filled that. I'm already seeing why you're such a great coach, you know, because you're talking about all of those, those, other things that go along with coaching, you know, those guys were like your players, you know? And, and so when, you know, when you were there at the time, you know, you were seeing, I mean, it wasn't pretty all the time. And, and did that affect you in any way as well when you were in the Marines, some of the bad stuff? It absolutely did. And I, I will tell you that, um, it sounds kind of weird, but I think that it's a very important thing in life that, so I'm a big faith guy, right? And I do believe that God allows us to be able to go through challenges in our life that are going to make us better in the long run, preparing us for what's ahead. And I think that all the negative things that I've seen and experienced have only prepped me for what I have the opportunity to be able to, to share and enjoy now. And the lessons that I've learned, I can give to my players and to my families for that matter, to let them know how truly blessed we are. I mean, I, I remember being overseas and seeing the ways that, that a lot of these, these kids live, right? I will never experience um, the type of, of lifestyle that those guys had to go through being on the other side, but I know what our kids have here. I mean, when, when our kids get a, an opportunity to be able to go out and play it, you know, on their playgrounds or on a brand new turf stadium, those kids would never even dream of that over there. I mean, they're, they're worried about getting shot or stepped on a, an explosive device. And here we are so extremely fortunate. And sometimes we lose touch of, of how truly blessed we are. Well, and I see, okay, this is already turning into a, le a learning experience for me. And I hope, you know, parents and other coaches out there are, are learning the same thing that I am right now, because I think as a parent, if you find out your coach, your, your child's coach is a former Marine, I think the first thing you're going to think is like drill sergeant, short haircut, going to be hard nosed, tough on the kids. But here you are, you experience all of that stuff, but you learned from it and took from it just a, a totally different perspective. Did you, were you ever like that or did you ever experience guys like that in the Marines, those tough, hard-nosed drill sergeants, you know, like we see portrayed on TV and in the movies? So <laughs> we're talking about um, the same topic, but in two different venues, right? When you're in that environment, you also have to wear a separate hat. There's a time and a place. And my mom always used to say, right, there is a time 
for being hard-nosed and being stiff. And my players and my family see that all the time as well. But there are also, you know, pieces and parts of that where you take it from a different perspective, a different context. And uh, all that comes together to be able to make the total package. There are times when I was not very pleasant to be around, and that's my job as well. I had to be the enforcer. And when you're dealing with making decisions every single day and keeping guys sharp and focused when, when it could cost them their lives, um, you can't always be, you know, friendly and, and hugs and kisses and passing out lollipops. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's, that's definitely a, a big piece of it, but there's also a time to be able to slow down and you can't constantly ride someone and, and expect them not to break. You have to be able to meet that intensity with some level of compassion and concern because otherwise your guys don't think that you care about them and, and they will not work for you or, or protect themselves the way that they need to. Now, is that one of the things that you learned in the Marines that you apply to coaching? What did you take away from the Marines? Because this, I mean, this sounds like it, but the, the, the big difference, obviously, is we're not talking life and death here. We're talking wins and losses. What, what things did you take from the Marines that you feel kind of laid that foundation for you with coaching? So it, exactly what you just said, it, it is really, really, really very similar because leadership is the greatest takeaway that I took from my time in the Marine Corps. And I really feel like there's a huge vacuum in the country right now, all over the place in terms of needing leaders that are, are genuine leaders that are concerned about the people that they have the opportunity to be able to lead and doing things for the right reasons. And while I was in um, the from the very, very time that I started, the Marine Corps is huge on small unit leadership and developing their, their leaders from a, a very early time. And, you know, me stepping in and, and understanding that, hey, just because we wear the same uniform, for example, just because we're all coming from the same place does not mean that we're all motivated by the same things. Doesn't mean that we're here for the same purpose or the same reason. So it's important for me as a leader to get to know my guys, what motivates them, what drives them, how far can I push them before they're going to break. And that's the exact same thing you got to do as a coach. You have to invest yourself in your players, get to know them as people and make sure that they know that you love them and that you're there for them, not just for your record, for your wins and losses, for your accolades. You're there for them first. And as, as long as your Marines know that, they will do anything for you. They'll run through a daggone brick wall for you. And it's the exact same way that I believe it is with the players. So when you were getting out of the Marines, you said your kids really helped, you know, prompt you. I mean, I would, what's, what's, on a totally different, you know, the same but but different level. It's the re one of the reasons I wanted to get out of TV is because of my kids. I wanted to coach. I wanted to do, you know, all those things. And you know, the hours in television, uh, can you know, they're a little crazy. And so, sure. So I feel like you and I, like, we're, we we were probably, you know, on the same, you know, had the same mindset. You know, right. but yours was just, you know, yours is is a little different. Tell me now, was it your kids? that prompted you to get into coaching? Because, you know, looking at your resume here, I mean, you first got involved. You didn't go right to high school. You got involved in the youth program. Was it because of your kids? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was uh, an opportunity for us to be able to get them involved. And then um, you see a lot of the things that are going on around you. And I had done a lot of that while I was still in the Marine Corps. When I wasn't part of a fleet unit, which is a, a basically an infantry unit that does a lot of um, deployments and training, when I was part of uh, a regular unit where I had the opportunity to be able to do volunteering and free time. I had the opportunity to be able to coach. I had the opportunity to go volunteer at like boys homes and stuff like that. And that was always a very satisfying thing for me, gave me the opportunity to be able to, to give back and make that impact. So when we came back and we were starting to, you know, build our home here in North Ridgeville, I grew up over in O'Leary and Lorraine area. Um, this is where we wanted to, to sink our anchor and, and start to build a family and invest in our community. And so it just kind of fit together that I would be able to do that here while my kids were coming up through the system. Did you feel like right away, even with the younger kids, you did, did you feel prepared to coach even the, the younger ages based on what you took away from your experience in the Marines? <laughs> uh Yes and no. I mean, th there are, are a lot of things that you still have to figure out, right? I mean, when you're dealing with parents, 
um, parents' perspectives on a lot of things, that is a very, very difficult obstacle that you have to work through. And, and I say obstacle not in a negative way. I, I look at it as a challenge because when you are coaching or when you're mentoring someone, right, you're working with that player and your perspective of what they need to be doing is completely different than where a, a parent is coming from. And a lot of times, you know, parents have the best of intentions for their kids. They want the very best for them. They want them to be successful, but they're looking through parent goggles, right? They're biggest experience of what that sport is or what their kid should be doing is from what they've seen since their their kid was a toddler or from other parents and their perspectives and your challenge to is to be able to help everybody get on the same page and really know what you're working toward and to make sure that the players and the parents know that you truly care about their kids and that you have their best interest at heart and i think that that was probably one of my biggest challenges stepping into this and and i i had to learn as i went did Teaching in the Marines help set you up to win with the with the littler kids at all? Absolutely, because um, when you're instructing, so my job for uh, two years was instructing martial arts. There are specific things that people can do, like as a generality, and then there are some people that struggle with step by step stuff, um, practical application, athleticism, and stuff like that. Not everybody's built the same, so you have to be able to go through that process and try to. I don't want to say dumb it down, but kind of simplify the, the process so that everybody that you're working with gets that. They get the fundamentals and they can apply what you're trying to teach. That's a great opportunity for me to be able to do the exact same thing, applying skills and, and tactics when you're trying to teach players who all have a different growth rate and a different um, maturity rate and their, their field perspective and tactics are going to be completely different. I think this is so important because and like you, you talked about it. A little bit earlier, just, you know, the the preparation that you got to be a leader. And you said you feel like like some of that is lacking these days. And and I tend to agree with you because I think that we have, you know, people who, you know, want to get to the top, you know, and they get to the top, but then maybe they just don't know what to do when they get there, you know, because they get there so quickly. And, but I see such a difference with you coach, you know, from, from a lot of the people that I've talked to on the podcast, because you, you had that military training, you had that leadership training, you were really standing on such a solid foundation to begin with. You were already had the ability to kind of look at yourself and say, yeah, yeah, you know what? I I probably screwed that up, you know, or I need to deal with it. (laughs) Like, like, you you know, you know what I mean? You almost have that out of body experience that a lot of the coaches that I, a lot of the good coaches that I talk to, they, they talk about, you know, their early days of coaching and they look back on it and they're embarrassed because they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe what I was doing. But I feel like you were almost, no, I'm not almost, you were ahead of the game when you got out of the Marines and you started coaching youth sports. Am I off base in saying that? Uh, I feel like you're just giving me a lot more credit than I deserve. Um, and I appreciate it, but I, I mean, I do feel very, very fortunate to, to have had the experience, uh, in the Marine Corps and being able to learn as much as I did. Uh, and even, you know, as a a soccer player growing up and, and through high school, I learned a whole lot, but I feel like you have to be in that moment to be able to experience it and develop as a coach. There is nothing that takes the place of experience in terms of being able to lead and apply things. And I think um, the biggest piece for me in terms of being able to develop as a leader and as a coach has to be maintaining a a little bit of uh, humility and, and staying humble and realizing that you know, as you did things when when you were young that were effective, you have to continue to stay with the times. You have to be willing to evolve and understand that just the way that you did it before, because it was successful, doesn't mean it's going to continue to work. So you have to stay just as hungry to improve and evolve and learn. And you have to also be willing to be able to take that feedback from families. And trust me, there's a lot of it. And you have to be able to apply those things and say, hey, remove the emotion from the feedback that you're getting and learn from that. What is it that you could have done to be able to make the situation better? And also, what can you do to be able to prevent that from happening in the future? Right. Yeah. Well, so now let's talk about this. So, you know, you have all your and you know what? 
I'm giving you all the credit you deserve, coach. So <laughs> just, yeah. you know, I, I trust me, man. Cause like, so here's the thing. You have all this, ex- you know, the, the, the teaching experience and the training experience in the military. Now you, you, you get all this coaching experience, coaching the whippersnappers, right? When you get out right. of the Marines, right? Sure. Okay. Let's talk about you take over the, the, the boys program, the varsity program at North Ridgeville High School. And mm-hmm. this program was a complete it was a hot mess when you took it over. Talk about those early days and what your approach to this rebuild, what it was. Okay. So, um, yeah, starting out, it, it was definitely a difficult process. And I think that the, the biggest difficulty was trying to change the mindsets of families and players from where we were to where we wanted to be. And I think that a lot of times when you step into a situation like that, people are going to be very skeptical, right? And especially because the intensity of what we were doing and the amount of time that it demanded was drastically different than anything that we had ever experienced before. And if you want to be competitive, especially in the the conference that we're in, in the area that we're in, you have to invest more than just a, a few months during your season to be able to compete. A lot of our players and families were just not used to that. I think another big piece of it was players, kids in general, are not aware of how many things they are actually capable of being able to do until you push yourself outside that comfort zone. And I think one of the biggest pitfalls that we deal with nowadays is that uh, parents and, and families in general, we like to prepare the path for the player, not prepare the player for the path. And it's my job to be able to get these kids ready for what they're going to face on the outside because you can't control that, right? So for me to be able to push them and make them understand that they're capable of more than what they ever believed and to get those guys to get comfortable being uncomfortable, that was a huge challenge. And to get families to buy into that and trust me when I had nothing to really stand on in terms of credibility with them, that was a huge challenge for me. So when when you get there, what was the first thing you thought needed to change? Like, like the specific thing, was it, we need to work on the culture? Was it, we need to have longer practices? We need to have more organized practices. Where did you put that initial coach George stamp on what part of the program? So from my perspective, I'm going to say that it was culture immediately. Uh, I believe that, the culture of the group needed to change in terms of finding positivity and unification. When I first stepped in, there was a huge divide between classes. Uh, there, there was no communication in terms of like a, a freshman ever talking to a senior, right? There's a huge line there. The, the freshman coming in, those guys were like the slot boys. Hey, go pick up this and carry that. Like, you know, the, the stereotypical stuff that happens in competitive athletics. And I, I am absolutely against that. I think that if you guys are going to train and compete together as a family, you guys, you're, you're more willing to sacrifice and work harder for someone that you actually know and you care about and you have a relationship with. And if we don't build that inside this team, we will never move forward. So breaking down the lines in between classes and, and separating the clicks and, and the drama and making these guys understand that it was going to be a full commitment to everyone there that was definitely a huge challenge, and that's what I wanted to jump on first. Well, and so let's talk about that because so so I'll let you I'll let everybody in behind the curtain a little bit. You know, I asked Coach, can you just send me a you know a couple of notes about you know about your like a little bit a little bit of your resume? Well, and and you know this list of of items that he sent me under most important, you know, when he looks back on the things that he did to turn this program around. Under most important, it was all of the off the field things that this team and 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 we know we've heard this from more than one coach. It's the off the field things that these teams do that have the biggest impact on the win loss column. And so, coach, let's talk about that. And I and I and I also want to to find out how you knew you know how you knew to go down this road of forget forget. X's and O's and drawing up plays and drills and all that. We got to start off the field first. How did you know to to approach it this way when you took it over? And then we'll talk a little bit more about the things you were doing off and still are doing off the field. But how did you know 
five years ago to go down that road to turn this program around? So, again, I can't say that I knew. I'm just going to say that this is what my instincts told me, and, and this is the way that I wanted to go with it. Again, I told you I'm a big faith guy, right? I believe that uh, God puts us in the, the right places at the right time to be able to make our impact. And I could watch as I would train our young kids in the NRASL and they would move forward, um, that they would fizzle out and, and they struggled in a big way once they got to the high school level. And that was something that I wanted to be a part of and trying to change. I feel like um, as you continue to develop, those are the kinds of things that will improve over time. But you can't build on anything else until you set the foundation right. And the foundation is the culture. And, you know, culture has become a very, very popular word, just like family. But they're just words, right? Unless you make it carry a meaning. And you're going to have a culture no matter where you go. It may not be a good culture, but the way we define uh, culture is how we do things, right? You can have an ugly culture. You can have a negative culture. You can have a positive culture. That is up to you and your team and how you guys establish that. So I wanted to be able to lay the foundation of our program going that way because I didn't think that we could build on that. So also tying back to my time in the Marine Corps, it's kind of funny, but a lot of people may not know this. The Marine Corps is known for getting the hand-me-downs, right? We would get uh, – the Army gets the brand-new gear and the, the fancy, you know – polished stuff. And then when they're done with that, they pass that down to us. We get to work with that kind of stuff and we do the best that we can as those guys get their new. Well, where we are, we come from a, a relatively blue collar community, right? We don't grow up with all of our kids playing, you know, high level, you know, professionally coached soccer. We had a lot of players that the best pieces that we had were just their toughness, their grit, their, um, their, sheer will to go out and compete. And before you can do anything else, you have to get your players to want to buy into that and just go believe that they can compete with anybody else that's out there. Changing that mentality, that mindset, and making those guys push beyond what they ever thought they could, that's the foundation of a team. Then you can worry about the X's and the O's. The X's and the O's are not going to win you games if you don't have the heart to be able to push through and make that happen. Because when X's and O's fail, at the end of the day, you have to rely on the sheer will and grit and t determination and toughness to be able to battle that out. And that is, in all actuality, how we've been able to survive and compete because we take guys with a very, very thin roster in comparison to a lot of the communities that we play with, and they'll play 90% or more of the game. The majority of my players on that first team won't come off the field. When you're playing against teams that, that can cycle almost their entire roster and they don't lose anything, and we continue to go out there and we compete for a full 80 minutes and we're still giving it to them, man, that's all about you know their toughness, their mental toughness, and their will to fight for each other. So one of the big things that, that you have uh, – you, you get your teams to take part in to help cement your your unit right to, to get your to get your team your guys playing together your guys and your girls is right. community service community service is a big part of of your program can you talk a little bit about that absolutely so uh, we have a, a few specific principles that we apply um, to our program as well as our core values right um, and one of those is live a life of service. And living a life of service means appreciating the things that you've been blessed with, appreciate the things that you have, and then giving back and continuing to make sure that you contribute to making things better around you. That is not optional. That is a part of our program. That is who we are. That is a huge core value of, of making sure that our players understand why that's so important and being a part of giving back and making their community better and, and providing an opportunity for someone else to have what they had or even better. Just like as parents, right? We want our children to grow up better than we were, learn from our mistakes. That is the opportunity for our players to be able to make things better for, for the youth that are coming up than they ever had before. So... Well, go ahead, please. Well, when you when you're talking community service, so what are what are some of the things? Because now you sent me in your notes. You've done 
th- over 3,400 hours of community service the kids have. What right. kinds of things are they doing? Uh, we've had partnerships with Community Care, doing food drives. Um, the very first year that we had, if you remember over at uh, Field Suite, there's those old um, goalposts that have been sitting up there ever since forever, and they were rusted and disgusting. Our guys went out there. They didn't belong to us. We just asked permission from the schools because Field Suite was part of the school system at that time. We asked permission to be able to just go out there and clean those up because that's part of our community. It represents soccer, but it also is a huge representation of our community and how we we take pride in it. So our boys were out there with sandpaper, like busting rust on these things, and they get out there and they're getting this oil-based paint thick and, all, and slopped all over them. But they're out there cleaning things up and making things better, right? I mean, we, we've done um, painting and building the parking lots for our, our youth program because it's just a, a big open lot out there. They go out every single spring and fall to be able to set up and tear down the fields and move things around. They volunteer, coach at our summer camps. They uh, pick up trash uh, and do parking duty at our local tournament every year. Uh, they do study groups. We've got a program called Give Back to the NRAC where the younger kids that come in, especially the kids who don't really have any, any buddies to be able to sit with at lunchtime, our guys would go over the ones who were given um, privileges. They would go over to the NRAC during those lunch hours or during their study halls and hang out with those kids and just kind of build relationships and check on them and, and make them feel important. That is that is really something that that is special. And when you look back at some of these activities that 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 you were there, and I know you can't be you know everywhere, but do you ever look back at at some of these activities and say, man, that really made a difference in our team this year. Do you have any specific stories that, that tie back between, you know, the, the culture that you, that you've built, the, the success you've had on the field and you look back to maybe it was, you know, community day when, you know, you're cleaning up the parking lot and all the kids just really banded together. Do you have any, any specific examples like that, that you think about? Absolutely. I will tell you one of the greatest things that we have is when our players go out and they're interacting with the youth um, at our, our summer camps, right? And you see these tiny little kids and they look up to these high school kids. The high school kids, you know, at first they don't realize how much of an impact they make when they're out there dealing with these kids. They're just like, oh, okay, coach wants us out here to be able to coach this stuff. That's fine. We'll, we'll run around with them. We'll get them doing the drills. We're good. And by the end of the week, they have developed such a fantastic relationship with these little kids. They know them by name and they're making jokes with each other and they're giving piggyback rides and they're wearing cones on their heads and stuff like that. And then these kids, just a few years later, now they're showing up at the high school and they're playing for me. And they are so ecstatic for their opportunity to be able to go back to the exact same youth camp that they used to coach or that they were being coached in. And now they get to give back and do it themselves. And to see the excitement in these high school kids who are, man, I don't make any of this mandatory. They are volunteering to come out and give their time to be a part of this program. That is so satisfying to be able to see a teenage kid who could be, you know, at the mall or, or playing video games or, or doing whatever, updating their Instagram or whatever crap. And they want to come back and spend time with our youth instead and be able to give back. To me, that's tremendous. Well, and I think, too, when you have opportunities like that, especially with high school kids, you know, they can be a little guarded when they're at practice. You know, they're always, you know, they're they're probably, you know, who knows? Maybe they love kids, but they don't want to talk about it with their boys. Right. They're out with their boys. You know, they're they're probably trying to, you know, talk to, you know, to to, to girls or whatever at the mall, you know, trying to be cool. They're always trying to be cool. Right. You know, right. but now you get them. And in, in, in this atmosphere, right? And maybe the, the guard comes out. It might take, you know, might not be on Monday of, of the week, right? But, you know, maybe by the time like Wednesday or Thursday comes around, like, you know, they, they kind of let loose, right? They let their guard down and they start playing with these kids. And now your the teammates are seeing this and they're like, oh, you know what? I, I like to play with kids too. You know, I mean, I like that, you know, I like to be a little kid too. And, and they all start joining it. You know what I mean? And then, that's where that culture starts to build and that brotherhood starts to build because now you're starting like, I didn't realize I had that in common with, with, you know, my teammate. Do you feel like the, am I, you know, I guess in the question again is, am I, am I right in saying that? Do, do those kind of things happen when you do these off the field community service events? Absolutely. All the time. 
And it, it is an opportunity for those guys. We don't do specific classes organized to be able to work together, right? I, I'm not going to take the same guys and, and put them in the same groups all the time. They're constantly shuffled no matter what uh, event that we're doing or even like our bonding activities. You know, we shuffle them all the time because it's important for them to get to know everybody, to build a relationship with everybody, because I'm a firm believer that every single one of them brings something different to our equation that makes us better, right? Like another thing that we say is find your purpose. Uh, not everybody's going to be the one who scores the game winning goal. Not everybody's going to make the, the winning, you know, save inside the goal. Nobody's, you know, not everybody's going to make the, the play that runs down that guy who's, who's got the fast break and you save that, that goal. But everybody brings something to the team that makes us better than if they weren't there. You've got to find your purpose and as you're meshing with the rest of those guys, that's how you fit into the team to make us better, more competitive. Well, let me ask you this too, though. Is it is it some of the onus on the coach, though, to look at their players and and maybe carve out a role for a player if if maybe it's not right in front of the player to see and develop? Do you think it's is it on the coach to develop that player and and find them a role? Absolutely. I mean that that is a huge challenge for us and and especially in high school athletics, right? High school sports is an extension of the classroom. They say that before every single game and it is a reminder. You are there as a teacher, you're there as an educator and it's not just the game. You are challenged with being able to give this player a specific role on the team that not only is going to bolster their confidence but make the team better because of their presence. And that is definitely a challenge sometimes, but it is something that, that you have to accept with open arms if you really want to do this and do this the right way, in my opinion. I just feel like when when you get, especially high school varsity level, I, to me, everybody on the team can play. And and I still, like, I don't know, you know, I mean, I could be wrong, but just, just looking at it, you know, I just feel like like one through 12 or one through 10 or, you know, I, however many you, you, you keep on your team, you know, e even if it's like football, right. You could, you could get guys on the field and, you know, playing special teams and this, like, I just feel like you, you should be able to use every single one of your players and feel very confidently putting them in, in any situation, at any time during any game, whether it's the, the first scrimmage of the season or the state championship game, the coach should have that confidence in each of their players because every one of the kids on the team, if they're making a varsity roster, should be able to play. And I think it, you know, it's all part of that culture that that we talk about. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, or am I just, is that just too much of the dad in me? I always try to t look at it from a coach's perspective. I'm telling you, I coached, sure. you know, I coached a lot of years. I didn't, you know, and I coached all the way up through, you know, I coached AAU basketball. I've coached baseball. You know, I played baseball all the way through college, you know, but, but so I always, and this is what I tell my kids, I'm from a coaching perspective. This is what I think, you know, and sure. so I always try to take, take dad out of it. You know, so sure. what do you think about that? I mean, am I off base? I mean, do do you feel like, do, you know, I just feel like everybody on the team can play. So why can't we find roles for everybody? So um, I how do I say this? I, I do absolutely believe that everybody on the team fills a role that everyone can do something. The difference is not everyone is going to fill a specific role in my eyes on the field, right? And the reason that I say that is you have to understand that especially where we are, we don't have a huge pot of kids that grow up playing soccer year round. And we definitely live in a time where um, we are, are starting to focus more on specific sports and especially in a game where you are doing something that is a little bit uh, counter to what most people do. Like when you grow up, you learn to brush your teeth. You, you know, everything you do is eye-hand coordination, baseball, basketball, football. You use your hands and your eyes, right? With soccer, it's something completely different. This is not a game where you could just pick it up and be relatively athletic and you decide for the first time in high school you're going to try it. And you're going to be ultimately as successful as somebody who's been playing since they were three and they play year round. 
Now, does that mean that that person is not going to be a valuable asset to the team? Absolutely not. Does that mean that that person can't contribute something positive or couldn't give you know, some type of valuable minutes when they step on the field for a substitution or in a key play? No, absolutely not. Everybody has the opportunity to be able to contribute in some way. But the reality of it is, is that you're not going to be able to take every single player who makes that roster and give them the same amount of opportunity and time because there are just some players that are, are much more prepared. I mean, that, that kind of ties into the same argument of, well, I'm a senior and my kid is, has stuck it out for four years Shouldn't they be playing over this sophomore because my kid's a senior? Well, the reality of it is the kids want to compete just like everybody else. And if we're not being selfish and we're not thinking about what I want for me and what's best for the team, then they're going to take the most competitive player out there and help the team be successful. And that's what I'm saying about everybody embracing their role and their purpose and putting the team first. And I think that that's a, a very difficult challenge for, for everybody. So you, you mentioned it earlier about, you know, when you were coaching the youth players, the parents, and I, and, and I always talk about that. This is a three, the, 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 the culture part of, of the team is definitely to me, three facets. It's the coach, it's the players, it's the parents. When you were, when you started this turnaround at the high school level and you started with the off the field stuff, were the parents on board right away? Did you have to convince them? How did you convert the parents to your new way of thinking of, of, of this new culture translating into wins on the field? So I think um, the first piece of that is, and I don't want to drift away from your subject, but I, I just kind of want to explain. My challenge is to, as a coach, not force everybody else to be able to change their way of thinking, but rather I think it's important for them to understand my way of thinking. I'm not going to be able to change them because that's who they are, but I have to instead try to influence them to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing and get those guys to be able to trust me that I have their child's best interest at heart and that I truly and sincerely love that kid, right? That I'm not going to go out there and hurt your kid. I'm not asking them to do something you know, more than, than what I would be willing to do myself. When it's raining, I'm standing out there in the rain, right next to my kids. When it's sunny out there, I'm right there with them. I'm not taking water breaks when those guys can't take water breaks. I'm doing exactly what those guys ask of me. I, I will go out without sleeping full days, like we talked about on, on midnights, so that I can be there with my kids to prove to them that I am there for them. When you can demonstrate that to your parents and they truly believe that you are invested in their kids, I absolutely believe that they are more apt to be able to buy into what you're selling as opposed to when you're going to tell them, hey, this is the way that it's going to be and I'm going to be hard-nosed, kind of that the stereotypical Marine mentality, right? Like I'm going to take this, this is who we are, and I'm going to shove it down your throat. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And when you, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of you're you're piecing this all together, and the parents, you know, are are a big a big big part of this. Sure. Do you how do you, do you get the parents involved too with the community service? How do you, I guess, initially get that message across to the parents of of how you are you know you're changing things? Well, now I mean you know you're five years in. I think I think people know what to expect. But in those early days, how how did you do it? Did you did you have the parents come to these events as well? Um, so some things, yes. Uh, like our community care has always been driven by parents, and those guys do the coordination. They handle and manage things, and then um, they get us involved to kind of let the kids know what their part in the process is going to be. Some things, not at all. Um, when we're doing the volunteer stuff at the field, um, I'm still involved in our youth program. I'm the vice president there. So I have the opportunity to be able to task those guys with, you know, helping out with the field days and, and with parking lots or, or with the coaching and stuff like that. So basically what we do is just kind of let those, let our families know what they're working on, um, help them to understand the value in it. And I think that over the years, as you see, the players at first didn't really understand why they were being asked to do that until they come back a little bit later and, and those players who are now graduates and they're applying for programs in colleges and they're saying, man, 
they asked me what my experience was and I never really thought about it coach but but then I'm listening oh I did this and I did this and I coached here and I volunteered there and I had a full resume to be able to share with you know this potential employer or this college program and I never understood what you were building and now I get it and I think the the families are the exact same way as long as you're communicating with them you let them know ahead of time so that they can plan and they can still live their own life Typically, they're, they're all about having their kids get involved and be able to, to give back. You just have to make sure that they understand the, the with them, uh, what's in it for me, right? Well, and you, know, you mentioned communication, right? And this, that, this is a, 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 such a big part of building this team culture. And I want to go back to something you, you talked about earlier when you said you were – when you were doing your teaching in the Marines and you were dealing with, you know, kids who were right out of high school and, you know, they're, you know, they're overseas, they're away from their family, they've got girlfriend problems, they've got, you know, maybe they're just homesick, all of these things that, you know, you were in this leadership role, but you made it a point to talk to them about the personal things going on in their lives. Do you apply some of those same tactics to your players not you know and I, I you know not that i don't want anybody to think like oh he's prying into you know to their lives or whatever but but honestly like i think back to my coaches you know like after my parents my coaches were my go-tos you know and so do you apply those same type of tactics that you were doing in the you know using in the marines with those you know with those young service members do you apply that uh those tactics to your players absolutely every single day and, and the way that I look at it is, if you want your players to ever be able to perform for you, they have to trust that you know them and you care about them as people, not just as players and what they can do for you on the field. And it's the exact same thing as, as dealing with my Marines. When I talk to them, I want them to know. It's exactly why I was there at commencement last night. The season is over. I'm moving on. You know, I've got another group of players that I'm going to be working with. Those seniors are never going to come back and contribute one single pass or goal or, or save or anything like that. But they know that I am invested in them. And no matter what's going on and no matter whether I've got sleep or, or whatever's going on with my family, I'm going to be there for their celebrations and their trials. I, I mean, I still have guys that graduated their very first year and every single time they're home, we link up and we sit down, we'll meet at Panera and we go get lunch or breakfast or whatever. We talk about what's going on. And I want that to be that way forever, man. I don't want to ever lose those relationships with those kids because they've learned to be able to use me as a confidant and as a mentor. And it's just a, a sounding board sometimes to be able to process stuff. You have to have that. I don't think that anybody is offended by having someone actually care about their kids. Well, no, you know, I mean, that's the telltale sign of a good coach when, when the players are coming back and, and thanking you or, or wanting to, you know, come back and, you know, say hi or maybe help out at practices or whatever. To me, that is the telltale sign that you have done your job. I, I would like to think that that's the case. And sometimes, to be honest with you, that is the only affirmation that I get because. At the end of the year, there's always high emotions, and especially as seniors, the boys are full of testosterone, and, and I know better, and I know how to do this, and I know how to do that. A lot of them will leave frustrated, right, with, with the situation or that things didn't work out the way that they wanted, and they know that Coach George is always going to ride them hard and hold them to a high standard, but when they come back a year later or two years later or three years later or now five years later... I'm getting emails and letters and personal conversations of like, holy crap, coach, I didn't get it before and now I get it. Thank you. Right. And that's, it's hard in the moment when they're angry or when families are, are angry. And I'm not saying that that's a, a normal thing. I'm just saying every once in a while it happens. And if you, you truly care about your kids and your program, even though you try not to let it bother you, you absolutely take it personally. So when they come back and they're like, hey, you know what? I did not know what I didn't know. And, and I really appreciate everything you did. That's that affirmation that just says, hey, you know, stick to it. Continue to do it. You're doing the right thing for the right reasons. And they will see it when it's time. And the other facet to this, you know, this this changing of the culture. And I don't know if you can speak to it before you took over the program. But your team grade point average over the last five years is at 3.7. Yes. 
all of this, like, you know, like what you talked about, you, you know, it's an extension of the classroom. And I, and to me, like, I, that, you know, and, and I, I don't, I mean, that just keeps sticking with me, coach. And the, and the way you, you explain it. And I wish there are more coaches out there that, that would really just step back and look at it from that perspective. Because honestly, then I think they would stop thinking so much about wins and losses. And then I actually think they would win more games if they would just step back and, the first thing first is we're getting them ready for the game of life. And the first facet of that is what you know, I, I was just talking to somebody the other day whose daughter, uh, she's a, she's a freshman in college softball player and she's a pitcher and she's a really good one. And she, uh, she was named a player of the week for, for her conference. And, you know, we were talking and we started talking about my son and, and, uh, you know, cause he's going to start getting into that now. And, and he said, uh, yeah, he said, you know, he said that the school founder, it was at a tournament over the summer. He's like, well, a lot of coaches talk to her. He's like, but you know what the first question they always ask is? And I was like, what? He goes, what's their grade point average? Every <laughs> single time. He said every single college coach that came up to her or her coach, the first question was, what's their grade point average? And coach, I give you credit that you're getting them ready for the game of life, and you are starting with the grade point average at 3.7 over the last five years. How have you been able to accomplish that as well? So I think a lot of that gets tied into the culture piece, um, and they know that that's what the expectation is. Uh, Ms. Bianca has been fantastic about giving me access to power school so that I can check up on their grades uh, I check their grades weekly to be able to see where those guys are at and if they're starting to slip, um, that I can contact those guys, you know, via email or, or talk to them when we're at one of our trainings and stuff like that. Make sure that there isn't anything that we can do to be able to help those guys or, or just to kind of dig in and, and just say, hey, I understand it's this is the, the long time of the year, but there's no time to slack off. And when that becomes a standard and an expectation of everybody being there, they all know that, hey, this is not coach harassing us anymore. This is what we are. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And it becomes a normal thing. And it's also a partnership with me and the families because a family shouldn't have to do that on, a, on their own. It takes a village, right? So as we continue to push this standard, the boys kind of know that that's what's expected. We've put a lot of emphasis on study groups in the past where the guys would come in and, and my my seniors who have already had those classes or who did really well, those guys would come in as well and volunteer, or we'd have some parents or even teachers who have come in and actually volunteered their time to be able to help the kids study and, and work on missing homework and stuff like that to be able to keep grades up. You know what's great about this, Coach, is we are talking about all of the success you've had on the field, and we have not talked about one thing you've done on the field. <laughs> right. I, I right. mean, and, and that, you know, that is what I think is so important for coaches to understand. It's, it's really, I mean, if you're, the wins are going to take care of themselves. If you take care of the culture, am I right? I a thousand percent agree. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. I'm sitting here thinking about it. like, we haven't talked about your, the, the best play you run or, or how many all Americans you've had or all conference players you've had or anything. We've talked about picking up parking lots and painting goalposts, right? And, Absolutely. you know, I, I mean, like, like this, this to me, you know, and, and I think of the, the huge facet of that is the trust that you have built in their players, your players and your players having the trust in you to be able to come to you with, you know, their, their most personal problems and you delivering, uh, you know, the help that they need. I think that is such a huge, huge component of this. Well, I, I think it's huge for, for a lot of reasons, to be honest with you. And I, I want to share with you just a very quick story, if I could. Um, my previous uh, junior varsity coach was uh, a young man by the name of Brandon George. So Brandon was uh, fortunate to be a part of winning several state championships with his high school team previous to being able to come. He played uh, Division One soccer for two years. And at the end of his time... Um, he realized that there was still a big hole in his life and what he was looking to be able to accomplish for himself. And now he's overseas in Germany serving as a member of the Air Force. Um, the reason that I bring this up and, and it ties into what we we're just talking about is 
You know where his state championship rings are now? They're in a daggone box, you know, collecting dust somewhere, and it has not changed anything about him. He graduates high school. He still has to go, you know, find his way into school. He still has to pay his fees. He's still got to get a job. He's still got to pay his bills. He still has to go live life. It's fantastic in the moment to be able to win titles and, and go win championships. That's fantastic. But at the end of the day, like you said, we're preparing them for the game of life. And that's what they have to do. We could win all the state championships in the world, but when they graduate, come commencement, just like yesterday, they got to be ready to step up and meet the other challenges. And those are all off the field. So, but we're going to do, we're going to do a couple of fun things, you know, at the end of the podcast, like we always do. But you know, bef- before we, you know, we wrap this up, like, do you talk to other coaches, especially younger coaches? And, and do you, provide them any insight as to maybe how they get started or do you have younger coaches coming to you for advice and what do you tell them uh yes on both sides um i talk to all different kinds of coaches from different sports um from different communities from different organizations um I have the opportunity to be able to grow from them just like they have an opportunity to be able to grow from me. I think the moment that you stop trying to learn even from a coach that's younger than you or less experienced, you've lost your opportunity to be able to develop and stay competitive. So I do do that all the time. Uh, As a matter of fact, my current junior varsity coach is a former high school player of mine. I coached him from the time he was six years old. Now he's running my JV team, which is an awesome experience to be able to watch that come full circle. Um, but yeah, we, we talk about things all the time. No, that that's great, you know, to, to be able to do that. So if you were if if you if you're gonna tell one of you know, one of these younger coaches the the first place to start, hey, they they've just been handed the keys to a to a brand new team, what's the first thing, you know, they say, Coach, I I got a team now. What what do I do? Where do I start? Where do you tell the young coaches to start? You're going to start with developing individual relationships with those players because before you can do anything else, you have to set the culture and get those guys to believe in you. They're not going to buy into anything that you do until they trust you as a coach. And that's a huge thing. You got to set the standards and you got to get those guys to believe in you. I couldn't agree more, coach. Now, before we before we wrap up the podcast, we got to do a couple of things. We always do what's the coolest and first things last at the end of the podcast. And okay. So I'm very curious to hear your answer because you know typically we talk you know we talk to basketball related people on you know on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, today we have a soccer star. And so I ask you, Coach, what's the coolest place you've ever either? either and it doesn't have to be soccer, but the coolest place you've ever watched, played, or coached a game. Okay, um, so I am going to say uh, Olympiakos Stadium, which is in Athens, Greece. Um, my father is from Greece, born and raised, came over here in his 20s. And uh, for the first time, uh, thank God we did it before COVID last year, we actually took a family trip over to Greece and we got an opportunity to be able to tour the city down there, took the train all over and we got an opportunity to be able to go to that stadium. And it was amazing. Something that I've never seen anything like it before. It was like a, a mecca of soccer for me. So I thought that was amazing. So did you you watch the game there? No. I'll tell you what, man. I, I got to be able to look at the grass through a hole in the fence. That was about okay. it. Really? It was, I mean, it, it was it was so cool. I mean, we, we actually went to the Olympic Stadium where they held all the games in Greece as well, in, in Athens there. Yeah. Because that's all open now. We got to go out and actually walk on the grass there, which is pretty cool. But to be able to see a team that competes um, in UEFA, which is like the, the, the greatest championship league of, of all leagues, basically, and to be able to see that team and, and the culture that those guys have there and the history that's painted all over the walls and stuff like that. It was just a, a really, really powerful experience for me. That's awesome. See, again, see that the answers never like cease to amaze me when I, when I (laughs) ask that question. And so now the last thing we do on the podcast is I give you a list of first. Okay. Now this is where I I think all of your former players are going to start perking up because they're going to, they may learn some things about coach George that they never knew before. I mean, I don't know. So let's (laughs) find out. Let's find out. What was coach George's first job? I worked at Taco Bell. No kidding. Yeah, I worked at Taco Bell at Midway Mall back when Midway Mall used to be a thing in Elyria. So what is that meat paste anyway? What is that stuff? (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. I know. I know. It starts out in a bag, and you boil it, and then it just uh, slides into the tacos, and that's about it. Man. Yeah, yeah. Put it in a taco, or you can grout your tile with it in your bathroom, right? So that's it. How about hey? How about this? How about your first car? Uh, it was a Ford Taurus, actually. I don't even remember what the year was to be honest, because it might might have been a couple of years ago. Wait, did you have the one with the where the seat with the, like the automatic seatbelt thing? Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I I never had anything automatic anything. Well, cause, trust cause, me. <laughs> well, well, only I only asked it because they, there was a there was a a, a series cause, and I know my in laws had one of these. Um, okay. And you know, and my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, we were high school sweethearts. Um, like she, you know, she drove that car every once mm-hmm. in a while and you would get in the car, you close the door and the seatbelt, it was like a safety thing. It would automatically, the, the shoulder heart harness would slide into place like on a, on a thing. They don't make those anymore. Apparently it wasn't a big hit. But when you said, when you said that, I said, oh, I wonder if he had to, cause they had a Taurus and it had the sliding uh, safety seatbelt thing that I, right. you know, but I remember that. Yeah. It, it did not last. So how about this? How about first record CD or cassette? you remember buying uh wow my first cd i think was probably ll cool j uh mama said knock you out if you remember that that's oh, a yeah. long time ago oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude I, i'm down with that that's that's a good one how about yeah. first concert what about first concert uh it, it's kind of funny actually it was ll cool j again um i was stationed in japan for a six-month deployment, and at Yakuska Air Base um, in Japan, he actually did a, a USO concert out there, and we got a chance to be able to go for free and actually see it, which was pretty awesome. Really? Do, 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 yeah. Was it a thing where you could you actually go up and, and say hi to him, or was it just a concert and that was it? Uh, it was just a concert. I mean, there there were thousands of service members there. I mean, because everybody came in from all over where everybody was at in, in Japan to be able to go watch this. So it was a pretty big deal. But it was fantastic for me because I had never experienced anything like that before. So we went from Bob Hope to LL Cool J is what you're saying. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, now now you've already mentioned you've been all around the world. And yes. so, so sometimes I'll ask what, you know, and, and maybe what was your first trip abroad? Did you ever go abroad before you got into the Marines? What was your first trip abroad? I did not. Not before I, I joined the Marine Corps. So then what was your first trip abroad? My first trip was going to Okinawa, Japan. Really? Well, that's, yep. I mean, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not a bad one, you know, to make your, your first trip abroad. That's a good one. And all right, here we go. What, and if, and, and this, this is, a, this could be a tough one to remember, but do you remember the first movie you saw in a movie theater? Oh, wow. Man. Um, I, I guess I'd probably say like maybe E.T. Really? I'm guessing I can't remember to be honest with you. <laughs> well, that's like me. Like I think back, like I just remember my dad taking us and this, you know, and, and I told this story one time on the podcast before, but he took us to see Friday. It was like a double feature Friday the 13th and humanoids from the deep. And we were probably like 10. And I don't know what he was thinking when he took us to see that. Now, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think it was the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater, but it's the most memorable because I was scared. <laughs> Holy man. I remember at the end of the movie, you know, we all jumped on my dad when, you know, when Jason popped out of the water. I know right. he regretted it. I know it. But, <laughs> but I remember, you know, I, I, I don't remember what the first one was, but uh, I know I remember seeing Song of the South in the theater, and I think we were younger then. But that might have been the first one. But yeah, but the most memorable was definitely when he took us to see Friday the Thirteenth because I was like, Dad, what are you thinking? So, all right, <laughs> the last thing, and this is present day. What's okay. the first app you check every morning after you get up? Uh, definitely my Google Calendar. Really? Yeah, I I have a lot of stuff going on, and I I. My fingers are in a lot of pots, so I check my app every day, and I also have all my players and, and my former players, their birthdays are, are plugged in on my Google app, so I need to make sure if I got to text anybody happy birthday or something like that, I got it all plugged in there, so it keep, it kind of keeps me on track for the day. Man, oh man, you are just dialed in. Coach, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time and getting us. Were we on the Google calendar? Did we make it on the Google calendar, the podcast? You know it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. honored. I'm honored. We're, we made the Google calendar. Coach, I can't thank you enough for carving out the time for us today. 
Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate it. I'm very humbled for the invitation. And, and uh, I think what you're doing here is awesome. I really appreciate it. Well, no, I appreciate you because like, you know, the, the things you say, you know, and the thing, you know, it just, it really, it proves, I mean, th- this is what the podcast is about. Like, like I said, everything we talked about, we didn't talk about anything that happened on the field. It really, really starts with that communication, you know, and that relationship building that that creating that safe space for your players and building that trust that's where it all starts yeah for sure all right coach thank you so much and hey you know what if you know a great coach out there who's winning games and building great team cultures at the same time we want to hear about him we may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast just like coach george you can reach out to me on twitter at courtside pod number one and on facebook and instagram at courtside culture podcast remember folks build your players strengths find them all a role and take them from good to great we'll see you next time thank you for joining us on the courtside culture podcast and remember build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad find your players a role each and every one of them and take them from good to great We'll see you next time.